0: So, we have been in a study recently called "ACT," where we 've been looking at what we are to do, what the church, the modern church is missing in a lot of ways in comparison to the original church, the first century church, and I thought it would only be fitting to continue that message that series today, and that we would look at the first evangelist, the very first evangelists that were on the earth, the very first evangelist of Jesus Christ. And I thought we would look at Luke chapter 2 as we look and see who the first evangelists were. Luke chapter 2 is one that everybody knows very well. Uh, it's on a Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, Linus quotes Luke chapter 2 from the stage, and Charlie Brown asks, Does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And Linus gets up there and quotes Luke chapter 2. I've shown that video before, as a matter of fact. It's kind of a simple church thing for us to do stuff like that. But today we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, but I don't have a video for you. And I'm probably not going to preach the typical message to you that's preached out of Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the first evangelist. We're going to look at who they were and what they did. Typically... (laughs) When you see a picture of the birth of Jesus on a Christmas card, we see some very common things, right? We have a very pretty picture there. It's usually got a star right over uh, some sort of stable, right? It's got a star at the top. Maybe sometimes there's an angel sitting on top of the star or, you know, an angel standing there in some way looking over everything that's going on. We've got the typical donkey, and maybe we've got a few camels in the background. We've, we've got a typical manger scene there with, uh, like, it's a stable, you know, and, and we, we see hay everywhere, and then we see Mary and Joseph, they're huddled around the baby, and the baby's lying in a manger, and we see wise men standing over in the corner, right? I mean, I've got this, I've got this very same figurine set up in my house, so I know what's there, We've got the, the wise men over in the corner. There's always three of them, right? There's always three wise men. And they've come bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. they come to bring burial spices to this little baby, interestingly enough. But the reality is that's not really the way it looked. As a matter of fact... Uh, The wise men probably didn't come to visit Jesus. The Magi probably didn't come to visit Jesus and his family until he was about two years old. He was probably walking around. As a matter of fact, in in the account, when the wise men, when the Magi come to visit him, they call him a child and not a baby. So more than likely, he's a little bit older. So there's no wise men in this picture. So you can kind of erase them from that. And though we we know that there were probably angels all around, there is no indication in Scripture that angels were there at the very birth. So, I I mean, I I understand why we do that, because we like a picture, don't we? We like something that we can wrap our minds around. We like something that we can see and touch and hold. and, And we like a pretty picture. And I think as Christians, we like a pretty picture when it comes to how we are to serve Jesus. I think that the church as a whole has developed a pretty picture of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that you attend a youth group. You go there on Wednesdays and you play basketball. Sometimes you hear the word and and sometimes people make some sort of profession of faith. And then as you get older, you, you go to church. You go to church on Sundays. And if you're a really good Christian, then you go on Wednesdays. And if you're a really good, good Christian, then you go on Sunday nights too. And we like that picture. I can hold on to that picture. I can can try my best to try to fit that mold. And when I don't fit that mold, then I go, well, you know what? We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we look at Scripture, and we look at what Jesus says to actually be a Christ follower, and he says things like dying to yourself every single day, When he talks about taking up your cross to follow him. When he says, when you suffer, you suffer just like I did. Therefore, you should have great joy in that suffering. When we see that picture, we go, I don't know if I can wrap my mind around that picture. When we say things like, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When he tells you to move here or go there or to buy this house or to go and take this job. People are like, I don't know what that picture looks like. I believe what the church is looking for, it's just a picture that I can fall in alignment with. And when we say something like, share the gospel with somebody, we say, okay, give me a formula for that. I, I, I need a prescribed list. Can you give me a Roman's road? Can you give me just some list of these scriptures you have to memorize in order to be able to tell people about Jesus? And you know, I, this is what I say to them. You know what Jesus did? The woman at the well, he first loved her. Then he told her he was the Messiah. He's the one that was supposed to come. And when I tell people that's what it means to share the gospel, you're to love them. and Tell them that Jesus is the Messiah and this is what he did in my life. That you don't have to memorize a whole list of scripture in order to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. They kind of get intimidated by that. But that's not the picture I've been, I've been told all my life. That's not the picture that was sold to me that this is how you be a Christian. I want to look at the first evangelist and what they did. Luke chapter 2, we know that a census is to be taken, right? We know that Joseph is a descendant of David, therefore they go to Bethlehem. We kind of know that story, right? And there's no room for them in the inn. Sometimes in your little figurine set, you have an innkeeper or you have the innkeeper's wife maybe over in the corner somewhere or in, in a storyline somewhere, there's an innkeeper, an innkeeper's w- wife there. In Charlie Brown Christmas, they're in there, right? They got an innkeeper's wife and an innkeeper. I think Pigpen is actually the innkeeper, if I remember correctly. So, But you know that there's no indication of an innkeeper in Scripture at all. Did you know that? There's no place for them to stay. It says that. I mean, that's absolutely true. But there's no interaction with an innkeeper or an innkeeper's wife or any of that kind of stuff. It's just there's no place for them. So they have to go and find a place for them to be because there's no room for Jesus in any of the typical places where they might be able to stay. Now, most people in their minds, they think, well, Jesus, uh, when Mary and Joseph arrived on the night that they were to have the baby, there's no indication of that either. They could have been there a couple of weeks We don't really know. All we know is that they were in Bethlehem. And that she was going to give birth. Now we know that that an angel has has appeared to Mary and Joseph and told them both that, that look, what's going on is a big deal. That Mary is conceived of the Holy Spirit. That God himself has put a baby inside of her. And I'm sure that they're terribly intimidated by this idea. I mean, Joseph has got to be having some sort of doubt in his mind going, is she telling the truth? Is she not? Mary, in her mind, I'm sure as a teenage girl, she's kind of freaking out a little bit going, I, I don't understand what this means for me. I don't understand what I am supposed to do. If this, if this is God who's put a child inside of me, what is my role here? What am I supposed to do as the mother Of the Savior of the world. So. As God normally does things. He's got to send some confirmation. If this is supposed to be the miraculous event. That was going to happen. Where the Savior of the world was going to come into the earth. And he's got to send some confirmation to them. So that they know. Man this is God at work. This is God at work. And I think so many times as Christians. We miss those God moments in our life. We're so busy looking at the pretty picture of what it means to be a Christian that when we we are chosen, when we step outside of that pretty picture, that's when we actually see those God moments. When we step outside of, of, you know, this is what it means to be a Christian. If I go to church, if I do this, do this, do this. When we step outside of those and we go, when we challenge ourselves to actually die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, then we experience those God moments. I'm talking about real God moments. When you put the Holy Spirit of God on the line and you say, God, if you don't come through, I am going to perish. And you have these intimate moments. You say, God is here. Mary and Joseph, they're they're hanging out. Somewhere outside of a typical house, probably. Maybe in a lean-to attached to a house. Maybe it was in a cave. Maybe it was in a stable. We don't really know. But they're, they're just hanging out. And they just had a baby. Mary gave birth to a baby. And, you know, we always picture that there's angels like, oh, you know, singing. And there's light shining out of the manger, you know, because the light of the world has entered into the world, you know. And like, but there's just a mom and a dad there and a baby wrapped up and laying in a feeding trough. And that's all they see. It's not the picture of what we think about the birth of Jesus. It's just a mom and a dad there with a baby laying in a feeding trough because they don't have another place to put him. But then God sends some dirty, nasty shepherds in. God sends in some dirty, nasty shepherds. So let's read in about that. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory shone around them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find him, the baby wrapped in snuggling in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven the shepherds said to each other let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So there's some shepherds nearby in Bethlehem. And they're hanging out and all of a sudden an angel appears before them. And he says that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has been born. And I mean, at first they're afraid, because I believe angels are probably very intimidating when they show up on the scene. One of the very first things that angels often say whenever they appear to human beings is, don't be afraid. So this idea that we have of a a white robe with these wings, and, and, you know, this picture of an angel, we have to understand that angels... I believe them to be very tough. And, and I believe them to be soldiers and warriors. And when they show up and the glory of the Lord is around them, I believe it is very scary. I believe that anytime we're in the presence of God, it can be very, very scary. And the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. And that's the first thing this angel says, do not be afraid. And he makes this proclamation that, that the Messiah, the Savior of the world has come. And then all of a sudden, what happens after that? It says, heaven's armies. I, look, I like that term. You know, in, in your version it may say, heavenly host. But it says, like, heaven's armies are there. I think that's a greater picture of, of what it looks like. Heaven's armies are there. And they're glorifying and praising God. And these shepherds who had just been sitting there sleeping, looking over the sheep, all of a sudden are in the very presence of this heavenly host, this army of the Lord. And they're in there, and and, and they're praising God because the Messiah has been born. Now, this heavenly host, this army of the Lord did not show up to the chief priest of that day. Did not show up to King Herod. Did not show up to anybody of prominence. Didn't even show up to Mary and Joseph, as a matter of fact. I mean, you would be thinking in your mind, if this is God, man, surely He's going he's to show up around Mary and Joseph. But that's not the way God works. You see, God works and He uses people. And when He uses people, it requires us to have greater faith. Because we may not have been witnesses to it, but when we see somebody change as a result of what they have seen and what they have experienced, we go, man, that's powerful. Man, that's powerful. There's there's something unique about what has just happened here. So the angel describes where you can go find this baby laying in a manger. And you know what they say? Let's go. Let's go. And when God shows up and you're in the presence of God and you're overwhelmed by God, I really believe that it motivates you to go. I really believe that you are not complacent with just sitting still and being where you are. These shepherds laying there and in the presence of God, they saw this. They were transformed. They believed and they went. Yeah. Do you know what the second part of you believing, you know what that is supposed to be? It is when you go. I see so many people that say they believe, but they never go. And they say that I'm a Christian because I believe. I believe that Christians go. I believe they're so motivated by what they've seen and what they've experienced, they have no choice but to go. So the first place they go is they go to lay witness to what's been told of them. It says, "Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about." I like the second, second part of this. They hurried. They hurried. God had shown them something. God had opened their eyes to something. And they hurried. I believe that new believers often hurry. I believe that they are anxious to go and see the presence of God. To see what God is doing. I believe that they are extremely anxious. And these shepherds, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. You ask how they found Mary and Joseph. They go into a town... I believe the Holy Spirit of God led them there. I believe the Holy Spirit of God said, this is where you need to go. This is where you will find them. It doesn't say that they had any interaction with other people. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I really believe that that if God can open up heaven and these shepherds can see heaven's armies proclaiming the glory of God, then I certainly believe that God has the power and the capacity to lead them right to Mary and Joseph. So they go in, and they find exactly what God has told them about. And Mary and Joseph had just been been there at childbirth, being a very labor-intensive process, a very difficult process. They're just relaxing, reclining, and all of a sudden these shepherds show up. These shepherds show up. And they have this whole interaction with them. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So God is confirming that this is the Messiah, that I allowed these shepherds to see the glory of the Lord and now they were coming and they're telling you what they have seen and what they have experienced and the fact that God himself has told them this thing. It says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. We're going to come back to that in just a second. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had told them. So these shepherds become the very first evangelists. They go and they, they see Jesus. And I believe that they reassured Mary and Joseph that this was God. That they were in the very presence of living, breathing God. And I believe that he, God is reassuring them in that because these shepherds come out of nowhere and they just show up where they are. And they tell them about this miraculous thing that has happened where God has shown them that, that he told them that this is what was going to happen if they came here. And I believe they go out. It says that they go out and they begin to tell Everybody. They begin to tell everybody. What is such a shame about the modern church is that the only people that are really going out and telling anybody about the Messiah is the new believers. And it's such a shame that that's the case, that people get complacent with the birth of Jesus, that people get, you know, just it's the normal story that they're used to every Christmas. And they hear it, and they're like, great, this fits into the the picture that I had painted in my mind that this is what you're supposed to do at Christmas. You're supposed to go to church, and there's supposed to be green stuff on the walls, and there's supposed to be a Christmas tree and lights and all of that kind of stuff. So this fits into the picture, and I'm very comfortable with that. But when we say, go out and tell people about this Messiah, don't just come in here and listen to a sermon about him, then they go, well, that doesn't necessarily fit the picture that I like. But these first evangelists, these these shepherds, standing in the very presence of the Lord, I wish that we could remember what it was like. What it was like when we first surrendered our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ and you wanted to tell everybody. Do you remember what it was like when that burden felt like it had just been lifted off your shoulders? I literally felt like I could stand up straighter because the burden had been lifted off of my shoulders. I said, I have been set free. And I wanted to tell people about it. My mom was there. I went home and told my dad. I just I wanted to tell people about this Messiah that I had experienced. Man. Don't you wish. Don't you wish that we had that same kind of enthusiasm. And, and, and just being overwhelmed with this desire to tell. To go and tell. As you did that, that, when we were first saved, we first came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. God was able to rescue you from all sin for all of eternity. And we felt that and experienced it, and we were in the very presence of the Lord as that happened. Did God change? Did His saving grace change? Did the miraculous event of him rescuing you from, from, from your sin, did that change? Or did you change and become complacent? Do we beg God on our face and we go, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Restore to me a, a, just a, a new mind and a new heart. God, I, I just want to remember what it was like. And I want to go and have that same passion and zeal because I am the one that has taken a step from you. I'm the one that this stepped away. I used to be close to you, but now I'm not. And therefore, I do not have the zeal and the passion to go and tell people about the Messiah. Now, some people will say this. They'll say that my religion, my relationship with Jesus, is a very personal and intimate thing. You see, I'm more like Mary. I'm just there to... You know, understand these things and treasure them in my heart. Is what some of the translations say. She's just a a bystander. I don't believe that to be true. When when it says that she treasured these things in her heart, when she had these things hidden in her heart. it, It is just like when the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against it. And what's really going on here is she's constantly reminding herself of the fact that God reassured her that this was the Son of God when he entered into the world. So to say that, that she had it in her mind and in her heart just means that she was, it was constantly something that she processed and thought about. It doesn't mean that she was quiet about it. It just meant that she was constantly meditating about what God had shown her. And let me tell you something, that when you have something that is constantly on your mind, constantly on your heart, then you cannot help but to speak about it. Because the mouth overflows of what's in the heart. And I believe that that, that Mary was constantly telling people, we didn't have a place to stay. And we thought it was strange that God, if this was going to be His Son, that we would be born in such a place and 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 we were there, and it looked kind of lonely and empty. And we just laid Jesus in the manger and wrapped him up. She said, but then, but then God showed up. And God didn't show up the way that I thought he would. There wasn't a bunch of angels or a bunch of kings that came to the door. No, it was a bunch of dirty shepherds. they have been asleep out in the fields. they have been sleeping out in the fields, and they didn't smell real good. And they said, We've seen the glory of the Lord. And he told us who this baby was. I believe that Mary didn't stop talking about that. And I believe she knew the power that he held. And that's why she said, "There's hey, there's no more wine here at the wedding. Can you do something about it, Jesus? She knew who he was. She knew who he was. There's a song that we like to sing at Christmas time. Mary, did you know? I think, that, I think that is the perfect line right there. Mary, did you know? Because what I think is that's the perfect example of faith. Yeah. She may not have known at the beginning, but as time went on and God kept revealing stuff to her, kept showing her things, even though it didn't make sense in her mind, she was like, faith has pushed her to know. So my question for us is, do we have that same kind of faith? Are we experiencing those God moments in such a way that our faith is growing, that we're growing closer and closer to God? And if that is not happening, is it the result of God changing who he is and his glory and his power and his might? Or is it the result of us ignoring his glory and his power and his might? You see, these shepherds, they went. They just went. They went first to Bethlehem, then they went out and told everybody. And Mary kept processing this information about what had happened. And she was the mother of the living God. And I find this interesting. I'm going to kind of wrap up things here with this a little bit. So we know that Joseph was a descendant of David, right? And that's the reason that they were in Bethlehem to begin with. Was it an accident that they were in Bethlehem? Was it an accident that they were, where they were where they were at at that particular time? No, it was foretold in Scripture. It was told that that's where he was going to be born. But the prophets had told this is where the Son, of, the Son of God is going to be born. In this particular town at this particular time. And I like the fact that it's Bethlehem. And I like the fact that there are shepherds. Because it reminds me of a guy named David. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning of verse 34, says this. David's up against a giant. Says, but David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And he said, when a lion or a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Now I don't want to shout where the Bible whispers. But I don't think it's any accident that we're in the same town where David was from. And this is a guy who was one of those shepherds, one of those shepherds that were asleep out in the fields. He was just like them. And he would defend the flock. He would fight off the lions and the bears that would come to take away the sheep or the goats. He would defend the flock. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, You will give birth to a son. And his name will be Jesus. For he will save them from their sins. Jesus came to defend his flock. Jesus came to fend off the lions and the bears. Jesus came to rescue just like David was there to rescue. But you know what? We often think of that enemy as being Satan. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 it says that enemy is our own sin that Jesus came to save us to rescue us from ourselves that's our biggest enemy when you think about the reason that you're not as close to Jesus as you once were it's because of us it's because of us and not because of him If Jesus can rescue you by coming to the earth as a human being to pay the price for your sin and to rescue you from your sin, then he is worthy of our praise and he can restore to you the joy of your salvation. So this Christmas, the question is this, is that what about you? Have you gone away? Have you not been as close? Let me tell you something. You've got a Savior that came to rescue you. And you've got a Savior that comes to rescue you every single day. David, and the rest of that story went on to defeat the Philistine, Goliath, right? Jesus, who came to protect the flock, he ended up defeating a giant. And that giant was death. And he killed it. He took it by the jaw and he clubbed it to death. And he killed death once and for all. For you and for me. For those that would turn our back on him. He came. He came. He he saw our sin and knew that we needed to be rescued from it. So he came. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that he had one purpose. Even as a little baby, he had one purpose. And that's the reason, God, that we celebrate right now because he came to die for all of us. He came to to pay the price that we could never pay. And today, as we are at Christmas Eve, this time of year, and we celebrate Jesus and you coming to the earth as a man, God, I pray that we sing your praises. And if there is somebody here, they have never fully surrendered to you, and they know that. They know that they've never taken up their cross and followed you. They know that they don't die to themselves daily as a result of, God, everything that's going on in their lives. I pray that today might be the day of their salvation. And then for those, those who have strayed, they have gone away. I know you're there to rescue them. You're you're no farther away than their prayer. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that people might be rescued today. Thank you for sending your son to rescue us all from ourselves. Be glorified now as we sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?